We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast. This week you've been hosted by Mickey because Dodds couldn't be bothered. I'm joined well, by... It, it is his birthday. Oh, uh, well, it's his birthday, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm joined oh, by... Happy birthday, Dogger, if yeah. you're listening. <laughs> I'm joined by Ben and Mike. Hi, lads. How's it going, Mike? And Sai dropped out at the last minute without actually telling us he was dropping out. Just didn't, didn't come, so... Just commented that it was a lovely evening and he fancied playing football. <laughs> so thanks And so left lad. it at that. Well done, Sai. Great commitment. Yeah, cheers, Sai. Um, this week, because none of us care at all about the international football, we're just going to talk about uh, positives and negatives of the Premier League, um, of which there are many and uh, is very widely discussed. I think my fav- possibly my favourite thing about the Premier League being as it is, is that there's coverage of literally every game on foreign channels so you could, you don't have to miss a game I, mean, I, I don't think I've not watched one for years I think the last time was one of the derbies where the police really cracked down about 10 years ago and I listened to it on a car radio in a pub car park with my dad <laughs> a few of the lads um, and that's literally 10 years ago and I haven't really missed one that I've actually wanted to watch since so that's that's I mean that's obviously a good thing that you is, get to, yeah. to see it all um, it's, it's not just a Premier League though isn't it I think I think it's literally 12 months a year you can find some football at any time, can't you now? Because I think the, the Premier League's led the way, hasn't it, in, in monetising the, the, the sport and, and, and putting it out on TV with the Sky deal. So so now, we look, maybe five, ten years ago, we could have had a massive hiatus where there could be a couple of those summer months where there's absolutely nothing on. Now, pretty much all the way through the year, you've got something going on, whether it be international qualifiers, a tournament from around the world whatever time of day pretty much guaranteed there's going to be some live football on yeah that's all true all the channels and like even if it's even if it's shocking there's always, there's always something just to lose yourself in isn't there exactly also the uh, the invention of streams on betting websites so you can now bet on games in like Japan in the middle of the night <laughs> and watch it live on the, at the side of the screen which is class um, 
So yeah, I think that you're right, Mike. It's not just the Premier League, but it was the Premier League that's brought that uh, kind of like universal coverage about. So that's obviously a good thing. I think I'll, I'll come to you first, Mike. I, I don't necessarily want your favourite thing, but just give me one of the best things about the Premier League as a whole. Well, I think I was thinking about this and thinking back to to when we were growing up, so like early mid nineties, and and you had your your Syria at the time was probably the, the the biggest league. So all all the big players, the likes of the George Weirs, Maldini. So if you're a big player and wanted to make it to the top of the game, your big move would be to Syria more than likely. Yeah. But looking at it now, the big players. The, the Premiership teams are always right in there, even if they're not quite getting them. The, the big players, you like your Agueros, your Alexis Sanchez, they're coming to the Premier League, and your Serie has has dropped off a bit. And I think they've, they've not really got any of this. They're Italy. Even the best Italian players are coming over here. Well, exactly, exactly. And I think if if you look at the way, as we touched on on yours, Mickey, the way that. The Premier League has, has brought some some business sense to the game and, and really monetised it. I mean, I think we're going to touch on it on it later. There are plenty of downsides to that, but if you look at the quality of player that we can now attract, and and, and as a consequence, the the consistent level of quality. I mean, it's not just the top teams. Um, you know, we we can watch a Premier League years from like the mid nineties and reminisce, and it, it was cracking, but. Uh, at the top level of the Premier League, there were some great players, but it wasn't there wasn't that strength and depth. And I think now, if you look at teams throughout the league, um, they're all getting good quality players in. Um, uh, I mean, look at look, just picking you up on that point there. Look at Stoke. Yeah. I mean, Stoke like five years ago had Rory Delap <laughs> as like their like best player, and it wasn't even because he was any good with his feet. It was just because he had a massive throw. <laughs> yeah. And look at them now, like Bojan Afalai. Shakiri, Shakiri, it's absolutely mental, isn't it? Charlie Adams still holding his own. <laughs> <laughs> I think all, all, all the big names. They look over and see Charlie Adams just like with like two teeth, with a pint of Guinness in one hand and a fag in the other. Yeah, <laughs> he's another one, much like Stephen Taylor, who I think if he wasn't a footballer would be like a bin man. <laughs> 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 he's got nothing as he Charlie Adams. <laughs> Oh, I, d- I don't know. He's a long shot and a, and a, and a raking sixty-yard crossfield pass. He, he speaks fairly like considering like what you, you like what he looks like. I've seen him do like media interviews, and um, I'm sure he was on um, either Talk Sport or something recently doing like I don't know why he was on. <laughs> Out of all the players you could have got on to do like a show, I'm sure he's got to be at the bottom of the list. But it was obviously a, a slow sports day, so they got <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Charlie Adam on in. He spoke pretty sensibly. He, uh, yeah, he didn't seem no, to be. An, he doesn't seem to be an absolute idiot, as like some of the others you hear from. Yeah, uh, he was. On, he was on the BBC, I think, as well. But Is I it? think it's. Uh, it might be something we touch on later. Just uh, the, the 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 pundits that just think they can, or they effectively can, just stroll into a, <laughs> a pundit job because they're a decent player. Yeah, and, uh, I'm sure that will be touched on later as one of the negatives. But there, there are plenty of shockers out there. Yeah, definitely, it's, it certainly will. Uh, ben. I mean, I think, I suppose, within that, uh, it was actually one Dodsey brought up. Um, so, thanks for not being here, Dogger. I'm going to snake yours, mate. Um, it's just Sky in general. Um, I mean, growing up, it, that was what uh, I'm sure all of were what watched Sky as a, as a young child. And a lot of the memories about football are probably from Sky coverage and things like that. Um, it's got a lot of negatives. Obviously, people... 
<laughs> partly blame that just because of the, the TV deals and stuff like that coming in and the amount of money that's gone into football but at the same time that's worked in favour um, in a lot of ways I mean as as Mike it's sort of a, an add on to Mike's point there we'll, we'll get the best players in the Premier League because of obviously that that coverage that it's had for so long um, and that obviously generates all the interest from around the world and I don't think you would have got that if BT had been hoying Michael Owen and Robbie Savage on TV every other week well, it's um, just a joke isn't it like, obviously we're going to come to it but you've got like Michael Owen has got no right to be presenting a television <laughs> show he's so boring he, like, I can't listen to him I, I won't listen to BT Sport now if I've got it on I've got it on music yeah. it's so bad <laughs> I'd rather have the company from the radio a couple of seconds ahead or like a fraction of a second ahead than listen to Michael and drone on. But I just, I mean, I think they obviously much maligned Andy Gray and Keys. Their sort of coverage over the years, they've obviously been laughed off off TV and at Doha. But they were the sort of the first ones to really sort of bring bring through the analytical um, sort of coverage of games, and I think they've sort of where the game is now is a lot to do with how they started covering it uh, back sort of in the early days I agree with that I also think um, the point about the pundits being terrible is like is true en masse but there is a couple that are absolutely excellent I think Keys and Grey if you put aside the sexism mm-hmm. like which in all honesty was something they did in private and possibly shouldn't have ruined their careers over mm-hmm. Um they were excellent as a pair. Like everyone liked listening. To I don't know. I'm not sure it was private when they were caught uh, <laughs> recorded live cracking up at uh, the FA Cup in what year was it, Mike? Hope uh, Powell was, was playing. It 96, was it? But yeah, I think I think they deserve what they got. It's, it's been a long time in the post, but I, think, <laughs> I, I see I see your point, Mickey. I think Sky as an organisation have led the way. If you look you look at the likes of of Carragher and Neville now with their yeah. yeah that's exactly what I was going to yeah, say that's abs- exactly what you need yeah. you don't want a pundit when you're watching the TV a pundit to say oh it's a great goal um, uh, you should have done better there you want a pundit to tell you something that you haven't seen so yeah. whether there's a run off the ball or, or something that a player's been consistently doing during a game that's affecting the shape or, or something behind the game or what a team should do to counteract something rather than saying oh they've been shocking today Yeah, this lad just doesn't fancy it you know you want something um, that that you wouldn't have seen otherwise and I think they're consistently the only ones that really do that there there is a a smattering across the board but but genuinely it's having played a few hundred professional games at the Premier League seems to give you a free pass now you could just I don't know how much training they have to do but they just walk straight in yeah. into a gig as a pundit on TV and and, and, and just really trotting out platitudes that show they haven't done any research and, and put the work into it like the, like the guys on Sky clearly do No, definitely I mean I think as you brought up there I mean Gary Neville in, um, in Carragher I was a bit dubious when Carragher first started um, because he can't speak English just yeah <laughs> but um I mean, I suppose even more so when when they, they brought Neville on uh, on uh, the Monday Night Football initially on his own. Um, but I thought that worked well, and then I was a bit dubious, as I say, when Carragher first came on. But I think they've absolutely nailed it. That the chalk and cheese in terms of the types of characters they are. Um, but I think it it blends well. It's it's they know what they're talking about. I mean, they're both ridiculously experienced players in both the Premier League and at international level. They know what they're doing. They're probably two of the better, best defenders we've produced in the country for a number of years. Um, and just they within that, you, you know when you can spot something's going wrong. And I think they're 
that that's why they're so good because they just read everything that's going on and it's that sort of level of knowledge where you, you they are experts whereas a lot of the time as you say you, just because you played 50 times for one team doesn't make you an expert or anything they've they've played at the top level they know what they're talking about and the, the level of detail they go into and they, as you say you want to be educated um, enough where we know the majority of sort of fans will know a lot about football but they won't necessarily know the intricacies that they go into and I, I think that's really they, they, they do that well um, yeah. and, and I'm impressed by this that, how well Monday Night Football's gone I think um, seeing Gary Neville as a pundit has, has given me an explanation about how he's, he was such a good player Yeah. because when you look at him he wasn't the best tackler he wasn't fast he wasn't particularly strong yeah. he couldn't really head the ball but he, it's just obvious every time he talks that he knows the game inside out arguably game, better yeah. than anyone I've ever listened to talk about football mm-hmm. And I think I think the same with the Carragher as well. I mean, again, yeah. wasn't particularly a fast player. I mean, even up till what was it, thirty five? He was still 34, 35, whatever he was playing with Liverpool. You you see the mess they've been left in since he's left. Yeah. And you just you you but you're wondering, well, hang on a minute. Surely, like he's a thirty five year old. He's never been quick anyway. Like, how are they missing him so much? But it is just that reading of the game, and you hear sort of people talk about legends of the game like Seydorf and. Um, I don't know if there's a down and put like that, and you. It's no wonder, they like, they. I'm. Mean, it's sort of surprised that uh, it's no wonder that Seydorf gets invited to the, the World Cup gigs and stuff like that, just because they they just the level of uh, knowledge of football is just absolutely mental. Yeah. Um. Anything else either we would like to bring up before I go to Twitter, which I was is going to say, in all know. honesty, pretty bleak in terms of positives. It's all very <laughs> negative. Well, I'm surprised that we've gone on so long about the positives. No. Uh, yeah. I think I think it's time we have a kick off now, Mickey. I think isn't it? Well, we'll we'll briefly mention the small. You the say small gone on so long. We've been on twelve minutes, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot for the positive. Yeah, very true. Is. We've got uh, the the clock toys, the clock toys, which is at clock toys, who said he loves the short lived friction. Frisson, I don't know that word, of hope, which is kind of a positive, but more a more Newcastle-based negative, really, that we only get a, like a very slight period of hope every two years, and then it's just <laughs> is that snatched a, yeah. away. I was going to say, is that a positive? <laughs> so, uh, not so sure if that's a positive. I do kind of know what you mean, because every, like, every so often for Newcastle, I think, it happened to me just the other day watching, um, watching goals on YouTube when I was preparing my game for last week, which I don't have this week for you all, by the way, I'm sure you'd be delighted <laughs> to hear there's, just, champ, there's champagne corks cracking everywhere <laughs> in Newcastle and like Maggie um, there is like you do relive the moments the odd moment we've had where you just think like I think I even said it out loud to my girlfriend I, was just, I just said out of the blue I absolutely love supporting Newcastle just for those odd brief like those brief moments that one season where we finished fifth and you thought bloody hell here we go like, we actually, we're actually a good side again <laughs> yeah. and then Pardew snatches it away with dreamy <laughs> football so if you can confirm Clock Toys if that's what you meant or if that was really a positive uh, that would be great we've also got David Furness which is at the Furious Fun IE who says he loves the Christmas games Mike how is it as an Ipswich fan at Christmas oh yeah no no it's cracking it's, um, it's great we've actually got our first home Boxing Day game for about five or six years in a row this year <laughs> but it, 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 it it's great isn't it you've, you've got they're often big games that are coming up it's every literally every three days once you've got over your food and drink, Cobra, you've got another bit of football to get yourself out of that. I, I wouldn't change it. Um, 
for for anything really and uh, I think that always that spectre of the the uh, the winter break gets raised but to be honest I, I don't think there's as much passion around the the international game which is the only reason to be brought in as a benefit for um, to, to make it worth it I certainly wouldn't want to sacrifice um, the, that Christmas period um, for, a, for you know for, for a slightly better chance in an international tournament um, I, I think it's I think it's fantastic give you something to look forward to and get out of the house for after Christmas doesn't it definitely um, I wholeheartedly agree with you and David Boxing Day is my favourite fixture of the year every year you, I used to love going to the away ones I can't I can't get away with it as much anymore it's um, good. because of the family but I used to love Boxing Day ways. We obviously had so many ways that were yeah. Boxing Day. It was generally one of the few ones that nobody was doing anything as well. So we, I mean, yeah. we generally as a group used to go. One of our few really well attended away days was Boxing was a Boxing Day, just because everybody had seen all the family over Christmas. You would sort of had that day off that you didn't really have to sort of <laughs> get go and see the family everything you could get away with just going off and having a great day just on the drink and yeah. travelling wherever you were going it was just a perfect opportunity and just match of the day is just on permanently through the week so yeah. every other day <laughs> and then every other day there's another 10 games lads get in <laughs> I also totally agree with you about the international break Mike I think I think it would be a massive shame to lose that cl- uh, that Christmas cluster of fixtures and I know managers complain about it being too hectic and I'm sure the players aren't particularly that happy about not being able to have a Christmas but at the end of the day they're paid a massive amount of money to be footballers and the, the least they can do for work is give work a Christmas that's what I, that's what I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, going up um, Math, is it Matthew Close hang on a second no it's Glenn, Glenn Ashcroft that said he envies people with no interest in football I guess that's kind of a <laughs> no, I positive. don't think that's a positive, Mickey. Can we, do we need to define what positive is, Mickey? <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's about it, really, for the positive. So it looks it looks like we'll have a decent amount of time to kick off about everything that we hate about the Premier League. I think that's. I assume that's why we had two two each to come up with. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> so I guess we'll go straight in with. Should we have a game first, Ryan? With Dogger's game. Yeah, is what I was about to say. Oh, good lad, sorry. So in the absence of Dogger on his birthday. I have prepared Dogger's game um, because I didn't have time to do mine <laughs> and his was easier. So without further ado, Dodds, that one's for you. Mike and Ben, I was born on the 22nd of February 1969 in Hackney. Hackney in London. Okay. I played 26 times for my country and was captain for five games. I have a degree in mechanical engineering and once trained with NASA when I said trained with NASA I think it was like a a training session an experience day no <laughs> not a training session what are you thinking NASA aside Ben <laughs> <laughs> no I was meaning do you know how like people go on like the marine like training uh, days or whatever well NASA's space not yeah I know that but have you not seen them it, you must have seen the Simpsons when they go in that simulator where they're oh, yeah, yeah, spinning yeah. them around <laughs> yeah. like that. that's what I had in my mind that it, something like that yeah. anyway Ben we're, we're putting this off because you're under big pressure if you don't, if you don't I know I'm, that's, yeah, what I, that's, that's, that's why I'm stalling <laughs> sat with a laptop in front of him as well I know. very suspicious my real name is Neil but I go by my middle name it's not Barry Venison is it it is not I made my international debut against Jamaica in 1999. 
played for Newcastle for two years and played for West Ham both before and after. The country that I played for is not the country in which I was born. So he's not English. Well, he was born in England, but <laughs> he played. He played for a different international team. He played for England in the twenty ones. No, that's what I'm saying. I thought you said he had twenty six England caps. No, yeah, international caps. Oh right. Oh, that changes everything. And last but not least, he could famously hide the ball to halfway instead of kicking it. <coughs> Goalkeeper. Oh, Cernicek? No. Oh, Shaka? Shaka is love. is right. We've had that one before. How have I taken so long to get that one? <laughs> Shaka is love, one of my favourite goalies of all time. Is he born over here? Yeah, he was born in It's Hatton. English, yeah. He went back to Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago when he was two. Apparently, he had a role with FIFA as well, as some kind of, I think it was like an anti racism ambassador or something oh, like right. that. He was, um, yeah, he was at when we were at, when we were at um, the World Cup in 2010. There was actually in <laughs> in uh, Nelson Mandela Square in Joburg. There was a big kind of like 3D football tent, and it was like I remember one night we walked past it, and it said a special guest this evening, Shaka Hisler. Class. <laughs> 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 just, I'm sure it was Dugger and green shit all over that, were they? I can't imagine that any single person in South Africa has heard of Shaka. <laughs> Um, yeah anyway we'll be back after this break with the negatives of the Premier League right so on to the negatives of the Premier League of which, of which there are tons um, Mike I'll come to you first I think yeah I, I, I think we were talking earlier about how having all this football on TV is, is fantastic you can see something all the time but I think it also has bred a bit of a, a negative malaise um, in, in in the middle reaches of the Premier League, really. Um, you look at teams now that are curbing their ambition because there is so much money involved in stay, just staying in the Premier League um, that teams will do everything they have to to get into it, but there's, there, there, there's a ceiling on their limits. So you look at stuff like the Europa League, that's been expanded in recent years because of this need for having football on the TV all the time and trying to milk as much money out of it as possible now the Europa League is a huge huge tournament with far too many games and, and, and loads of teams get to a certain level in the Premier League you get to about the top 10 top 8 you're making progress and then you think oh, actually do we want to do we want to get into the Europa League but really that should be you know it should be a reward teams the likes of West Ham Southampton should want to get there and, and, and count that as progress but now we're seeing teams maybe in the, in the last six, seven games of the season, thinking, actually, hold on a minute, we're going to put out a few weekend teams because we, we don't want to make that much progress. We don't want to get in the Europa League. Yeah, West Ham and, basically, we're basically just resigned from the tournament this year by putting yeah. out an absolutely ridiculous team. Is it a Maltese team that went out round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. West, West Ham and Sugar, Southampton likewise. And I, and I just think uh, at both ends of the table as well. I mean, you, you, you look at teams like that at that level the, the, the mid-level clubs that have been comfortable in the Premier League for several years they're not going to want to kick on to that next level and get in the Europa League but then I think likewise you, you, you look at maybe even the likes of Arsenal we've talked about it before they'll get in the Champions League year after year for that money but they don't seem to have made a concerted effort every year they go out just the, the, the first the first knockout phase and and there's not there doesn't seem to be that that desire for for progression. It's more just ticking the boxes and, and keeping things ticking over. They're 
so scared of not qualifying for the Champions League that it gets to a point where you look when they've got midweek Champions League games in the second half of the season and they're thinking, oh, we need players fit for the for the weekend game because we need to we need to finish in the top four again in in a league and it's it's a vicious circle where there seems to a certain level that that teams are curbing their own ambitions just purely to hold on to that money whether it be hold on to Champions League money or whether you're lower down and you don't want to risk um, dropping out of the Premier League because you're playing all of these games in the Europa League you look at Newcastle yourselves after that that season playing Europa League Everton last season league form invariably does suffer and I think it, I think it's a shame that that because of this this monetization and the need um, uh, for to just to hold on to that money to not be left behind I think quite a lot of clubs are curbing their ambition and and really really uh, you know checking their progress and I think that's a, that's a shame for fans when you think about you know what where, where your club can what height your club can reach I think now there's a there's an element of of pragmatism that you have to that you have to uh, have to use and I think that's a, for the romantic in me that's a bit of a shame yeah no I completely agree I think um, I mean what a, one I always find it's a bit unusual I mean I know why the the, the laws are there um, but the one with uh, player registration and squad sizes I mean obviously the Premier League one you're allowed 25 to register 25 players um, that are over is it over 21 yeah um, and then when they when they have the registration squads for the, the sort of Europa League and the the Champions League as well, it's it's basically asking you to to go play seventy games a season or whatever it is, ridiculously fifty maybe, not that many, I suppose, but just on a very small squad. And you you obviously, I suppose, the idea is it's meant to encourage you to use your youth players, but realistically, how many teams? really use it for for that I mean there's a few that have done it I suppose Tottenham did it a bit last year where they were given the likes of Harry Kane and people like that a game um, but it, at the same time it, as you say it just then becomes a bit of a joke joke uh, competition where it's just sending the kids out to see how they do it's not really what it's there to to sort of encourage is it yeah, I, mean, I, I remember when we got as an Ipswich fan when we got back into the uh, obviously we, we won the UEFA Cup back in '81 and that was huge um, back then a huge tournament and when we got back into it after our first season back in the in the Premier League in the, in the early noughties I remember having we had Inter Milan at home Torpedo Moscow like it was just brilliant it was so exciting yeah we played our full team and we got sort of beat Inter Milan one 0 at home Alan <laughs> Armstrong 80th minute brilliant header and it was just. It was just, it was just fantastic reward for the whole club, um, mm-hmm. and, and the buzz around the place. Those evening, evening games, when when you when you've say been out of the Premier League for a while, and, and you're building yourself back up as a club, it's a great incentive and great reward um, for the whole club, for the fans, for everyone working there, for the players. Um, it, they were huge, huge nights. Um, but uh, I think now it, it's just, it's a hindrance. Even the majority of fans are like, just get us out of the Europa League. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a real shame, um, but I, I think I think that has stemmed from how successful, <laughs> ironically, the Premier League has been at, at, with the television deals and, and monetising that and, and, and making football such a such a valuable valuable form of entertainment. Yeah, Mike, I totally agree with. You. I think it's a huge shame. Um, two of my two of my best best Newcastle games of all time, like regardless of the football, was going to Bruges and to uh, where was it Benfica. Benfica. Um, 
just the whole experience of a European away game is absolutely incredible and for yeah. teams to be like intentionally avoiding that because yeah, they have to throwing it away for league for the league position is is an absolute travesty for people like us for the, for actual fans. I think that that whole point is entirely summed up by Newcastle's supposedly official attitude towards the cups over the last few years. Yeah. We've totally and supposedly literally I prioritised the league to such an extent where we where we said we don't we don't care about the cups we can't because we need it we need to be finishing higher in the league for for financial mm-hmm. for financial sake which is a it's such a shame like it it does away with the just the natural attitude of football which is you want to win something like my like my experience in Sunday league and I'm sure your experience in Saturday league Mike is that you're just desperate like the cup games like get in it's a cup we've got a chance here like if we yeah. win a few games we might get to a semi final or that's what you get excited about and it's the yeah. same as a fan like you'd much you'd much rather finish 15th and have a good cup run than 10th and not definitely but, but from the owner's perspective and from a financial perspective that's not the case whatsoever yeah. particularly in light of um, the reduced cup crowds which we discussed last week I, mean, yeah, I, th- I think that's a result though if it's just the money isn't it It's if they maybe put more monetary value into the cups if say you you won fifty million for winning a, a league cup or something or an FA cup, then teams really would take it seriously, wouldn't they? But where's, where's the money going to come from? Yeah, exactly. It's just not going to happen, is it? Now yeah. I think that that sort of works quite nicely into my uh, one of my hates, um, which I think it stems from that need to stay in the Premier League. So um, it's this attitude that just morality goes out the window and ethics and things like that and just teams will do whatever it takes to win and it's got to the point nowadays where um, it's just the the quality and entertainment value is completely sucked out of 90% of games really Um, I mean I I can count on me single hand the number of games I enjoyed watching last season okay a lot of that was John Carver but (laughs) Even the teams coming to coming to, to Batawa we're playing horrific a horrific standard of football and it's just not it's just not worth the money the, the charge to go and watch it. Um I mean sort of the things I'm talking about is just teams coming out and just setting up to to just not get beat and just not even try and and have a go. Um I mean people will probably say, Oh well <laughs> that's essentially what we did against Arsenal but that was forced on by the the, the sending off yeah. and I actually thought we'd, we did as well as we could under the circumstances and I wouldn't say that was a disgraceful performance whatsoever because at least we're, you could see there was effort there from the players and they were, they were trying the hardest um, they were just outplayed by a better team Yeah. Um, but just like you look at someone like Coquelin just this diving around to get people sent off it's not because he's hurt at that it's purely for the sole purpose of trying to get someone sent off to help his team win a match and it's just absolutely disgusting and just the likes of people like Sam Allardyce and all of these negative managers that have made a huge amount of money of just being able to basically <laughs> just kill a game um, and it's just I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily borne out of the Premier League I think if you, you look at Liverpool maybe in the, in the 80s and 70s like Hadison Lawrenson absolutely like making a career out of passing the ball <laughs> before the back pass rule came in, and uh, like the, the lead teams under Don Revy before before Clough came in and had that acrimonious forty odd days. 
ren- well renowned for, for being <laughs> filthy, filthy, filthy players. Every trick in the book, um, hated outside of outside of Leeds. And there's still a lot of that, you know, that, that will go around in today's game. People think, oh, Leeds has that reputation, dirty Leeds kind of reputation um, from that. But they are incredibly successful. It's not uh, so much. And, and... Sorry. Sorry, no, go on. I was just going to say it's not so much the, the dirtiness that's I suppose but that is an element of it but it's just the fact it's just the the negativity of which is it's just des- it's just desperation to stay in the Premier League yeah. and it is just down to the money it's not there's nothing there's no other reason a team would turn up and and just settle to ruin a game of football other than the desperate the desperate to try and pick up points to stay where they are yeah I think you just you're never going to get a team now that, or in particular, you're never going to get a manager now that's going to approach a season with the attitude that Kevin Keegan had at Newcastle in 1996. Yeah. You don't get successful managers now that are just like sod the defence, just hire it all forward. If they score four, we'll score five. That attitude has just completely gone out of football now. I don't necessarily think it. I think, like Mike says, I don't necessarily think it's something because of the Premier League. That there's certainly the impact of money has meant that that attitude could just, could just be too costly in the short term mm-hmm. if it doesn't work for half a season and you end up 17th when you should be top 10 the chairman's going to be like whoa hang on mm-hmm. we've got a chance of going down here I'm going to have to cut my losses and get rid so yeah I think I think that I think you're absolutely right but I think it's an absolutely huge shame the league would um, the league would benefit now so much from someone like Keegan like a young manager that, mm-hmm. with a similar idea to Keegan taking over a team such as Newcastle not necessarily us and just being like sod this I'm going to buy six like fast attacking players who are just going to bombard teams particularly mm-hmm. at home and just just batter them by going forward and if we concede three every now and again and lose games against teams we shouldn't so what because we'll be entertaining our fans and we'll, 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 we'll get points by that kind of mentality yeah no I mean I, I suppose I mean obviously that that is an extreme as well I suppose as well I mean that was ridiculous entertainment I mean yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you need four, three games every week, or whatever, but just teams like Sunderland, who how many was it? Thirteen draws they got the season that stayed uh, last was it last season or the year before? Set a record, and it's just like get out of the league. Yeah, so it's just nobody. But wants it's to just watch the, it. it's just the the monetary the the money value that has because and it is because of the Premier League because it's been so successful. Everybody wants a piece of it. Yeah, and now everybody wants to stay in it, and they'll do whatever they can. You're saying it's not really; it was prevalent beforehand, but not. I don't remember it being to this extent, and I just think it is a lot to do with that. The Premier League has got too big for its its own good, really, and it's now now having an impact on the entertainment value. I mean, you get the Sky will try and bill everything as oh, it's uh, <laughs> Super Sunday. Well, I can't remember the last. Game I saw on a Sunday that was super. Yeah, the, they're just, none they're of the just games between the big teams that were ever really entertaining. I mean, the games, the games on this Sunday, it's Sunderland and Vial are both playing oh. on Sunday. It's like so, really I'm like work. it's out of I'm not going to waste my day. With and that. it's just I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, my my first hate about the Premier League is just to generalise is how it's just becoming a middle class game. That's, that encompasses things like high ticket prices which I know Newcastle are trying to, to do something about and lots of other teams are doing similar things to us whether reducing it with this away away fans it's not enough though etc but it's not enough and then there's things like 
not letting people stand up. I know there's arguments about that. In my opinion, the fact that it works in Germany with bigger stands than what <laughs> we've got over here means that it, it is feasible. It just don't do it the same as we did when it was ridiculous. People aren't really allowed to sing. You're not really supposed to swear, which I know is fair enough. But at the same time, like you want to go to the match and kick off and shout at the ref, don't you? You want to, you want yeah. to swear. You want to hear the bloke behind you absolutely booting at the ref because it's funny, and it's or part not, of the match day experience. Not fits the guy behind us. And all, like all of that crack, apart from in our corner at Newcastle, is being sucked out. Mm. I've had a few seats over the last ten years around, and it's been utterly dreadful. I was sat quite close to the corporate seats in the the corner in level 7 like mm-hmm. below the level 7 corner and that was atrocious there was nothing nobody ever shouted nobody ever sang people didn't even seem to get that angry about stuff like about injustice from the ref and stuff like that people just sort of took it on the chin and like people celebrating goals and not jumping about when people just stand up and clap when you've scored an important goal like come off it that's not what football's about and I think the Premier League is, is sucking that kind of working class passion out of the game and out of fans uh, yeah, I think I'd, it's I'd, something I'd that we're going to lose permanently if it doesn't get brought back soon. I'd absolutely agree with you, Mickey. It's uh, it's one of those where it's a novelty now. When you're being a being a fan in slightly lower leagues, it's cracking. When you have an away game and it's just terracing, it's it's uh, it's an absolute treat. But I think there is a huge difference, and the grounds do clubs risk losing any semblance of atmosphere that's left now, which is surely an entertainment factor for those who are watching. Um, around the world you, you don't want to see dead empty stadiums um, but I know Ipswich where I stand the, the lower tier of the Bobby Rolson stand that's all that's all standard um, you know it's just accepted that if you want to stand you can go there that's a place for you to stand and sing and you know it's it's not a family it's not you know a stand for young kids the rest of the rest of the ground um, is fine but there's that, that understanding and I think there needs to be that element um, that, that clubs understand that you know that real heart and soul that they're, they're starting to price out or you know we'll, 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 you'll lose a lot from the club and I think it's indicative of the attitude of the of the governor bodies if you look at the, um, the, the safe standing campaign at the moment it was uh, the majority of football league clubs last year um, voted in favour of, of, of taking forward some, some legislation around safe standing in grounds and bringing it back and uh, and the football league just basically just acknowledged it and said, "Yep, yeah, cheers, lads. We acknowledge that." And yeah. absolutely nothing. Just over a year ago, now it happened, and absolutely nothing, nothing's been done. Um, so they so, just don't uh, even care uh, what people I think. I completely that's... agree with you, Mickey. And it, it, it's one of those where you, you you can't see those actually in the power to make things happen at the top of the game actually ever putting anything in a place because it's just not not worth their time. So they think. Yeah, it's a massive shame. I think there's there's only pockets of fans around the around the the Premier League now I, I don't know about the Championship but I imagine it's much the same there's only pockets of fans at every ground that are making any noise and it's like it's not going to be the same for our kids going to their first game with us as it was for yeah. us going with our dad mm. It's not. you're not going to get that same feeling of like bloody hell look at that bloke over there and that, that guy up there swearing at the ref like before you sort of heard swearing then you went to the match and there's some guy behind you effing and blind at the ref were giving the throw the wrong way that's gone and I learned something from that and that's where I, that's where my initial love of football came from and I really think strongly that losing that passion out of the game is going to affect us forever it's, it's just the, the buzz around the stadium as well I mean you used to remember when I when I was younger going to the games you'd hear the, the singing and stuff before games and you'd hear it from as far back as like Jasmine and stuff I'd be playing rugby games at school and hear 
hear like you could hear when like Newcastle scored yeah. and stuff like that and you just don't get that anymore just because as you say it's almost as if the, the soul's been sucked out of it yeah um, and it's just yeah it's a bit depressing really it really is it really is so if you're listening Premier League Premier League clubs which sort I imagine you're certainly not um, give us back our game please uh, we'll have a quick look through Twitter we've had we've had a fair few responses about the negatives uh, one of my favourites Glenn Ashcroft at Glenn Ash 69 says he hates not being in control of his mood at the weekend but also hates having to decide what, what his own mood is in the summer which is hilarious <laughs> I do know you're paying there mate like weekends are difficult because you just don't know what to do or what to think because you've got no footy that contradicts what Mike was saying but it's not the same when, <laughs> when it's not your own team is it like you, you don't your weekend's not ruined by a Japanese team losing 2-0 well I don't know it depends how much you've got on it mate <laughs> Um, the clock toys as mentioned before hates the financial dope and which has killed the league as a meaningful competition he's right there yeah. he's right and it's uh, again that's another thing which I think has damaged it for, at least for the, the foreseeable if not for good because teams like us and anyone us or smaller is never going to win the league again it's, it's just not possible that's the thing you have, you have a, you'll still get the big teams having their off days and big shocks and stuff like that but realistically it's it's not regular enough. They're always going to be the the top six are always going to be the same teams now. Yeah. Um, For, and then and then you've got another league after that, and then essentially a, a third league. Well, a third league essentially, and that the teams coming up are scrapping with the likes of Sunderland and Vial every season. Yeah. And and the best team not, like Norwich. It's just not really a much much competition. Yeah. The best team like Norwich or, or Ipswich for you, Mike, can ever really hope for now is getting in the Premier League and then establishing yourself like really doing well for years and years and years and establishing yourself to the point where you can be in the top 10 and that's it yeah, it's, essentially, nowhere, what Southam- it's essentially what Southampton it's ones you've done Yeah, that's exactly. the best you can hope for which I'm sure their fans are absolutely loving what they're doing at the minute but imagine 10 years ago they, they probably could have been been challenged for the league sort exactly. of thing or at least but, pushing for Champions League Mm-hmm. It's a, it's that's that's true and it's a massive shame. This is not going to happen. Josh, this is a good one by the way. Josh, which is at Urquart Mag, uh, says the terrible disregard for fans and the patronising way in which they are treated, and said the Bartley's ad with that old bloke summing it up. <laughs> I totally agree with him. That advert is one of my least favourite things over the last few years, and in particular <laughs> the hashtag "You Are Football" from Bartley's. Piss off, Bartley's. We already know that. It's, it's <laughs> unbelievably patronising to be told that in an advert flashing around on Sports Direct like stupid stupid flashing things at the side of the pitch which is another point that I absolutely hate they are Hordens. terrible you can't see but no Josh I, that, I couldn't disagree, I couldn't agree with you more strongly sorry that, that takes me back to the last part we did on this subject I'm pretty sure you made a very passionate speech against Bartley's as you've just done then <laughs> yeah it's awful who do they think they are telling us that we are football who are the honest? Who, like who? It's one of who those, are they? Isn't it? It's clearly been directed and scripted by some people who, who've never been to a football match before. There's none. I think there's none of that. Just like <laughs> when someone misses a pen, just like people absolutely kicking off the lad who's been in a pub since since nine in the morning. <laughs> absolutely furious, blaming absolutely everyone. But, yeah, <laughs> for, for, for the player. They're, they're it, sort it's of such a romantic, misty-eyed. View of, of football, doesn't it? Just like it all works out in the end, and it's uh, it's all meaningful. It's uh, yeah, it's just try kind of. They try and capture that bloke, like terribly with that Manchester lad with his beard on the bus. 
who hasn't been drinking, but he's trying to get chance chan starting, and his bird's kicking off at him. It's just Mickey's like worst nightmare, that isn't it? <laughs> bird going to the football match with him, ruining his day <laughs> without a drink. Yeah, yeah, that would be. That's terrible. that's why I hate it. That'd be terrible. If you're listening, Joe, I don't want you to come to the match with us. <laughs> um, David Furness with a couple of good points. Uh, firstly, the shh celebration, people with their finger in front of their uh, lips when they score, gave that a rest. Nobody wants to see that. What? Yeah, there's no need for that. It's just antagonising paying customers. Yeah. Who basically you got a job out of? I'd actually disagree. I disagree with that. Well, whilst I don't. I'm not a, a massive fan. <laughs> it would be a massive loss to the game <laughs> if, if you got rid of the shush celebration. But I think it's fair enough. If you, if I'm playing, even if I'm playing like Saturday, like on a Saturday or a Sunday, and I'm playing and there's someone on the touchline, just like having a, having a word and uh, 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 giving you a bit of jip. If there's thousands of people doing that to you for 60 minutes, say, say you're away from home and people have been absolutely putting you away for 60 minutes, yeah. and then you score, I think I, th- I quite like that. It's one of those like, well, fair enough, mate. I've been having a go at you for a, for an hour and a half. Yeah, you, you, you've sat me down, you put me in a place, so I, I don't have a massive problem. That's with that. that's the banter side to it, Mike, which I, I agree with, and you would get that in some league football. But when you've got some French bloke who's scoring a screamer who doesn't have a clue what you've been saying to you running around like telling you to shush it's just like it's just it's, I don't know it's just arrogance and like it's not it's not to do with the the yeah. banter side of like the sort of the crack side of things it's I, I, I disagree I think even if you even if you're you're not fully conversant with the English language <laughs> I, I think you can tell you can tell when people are having a go at you where as soon as a player gets on a ball and he's getting abused you can tell no but it's not it's not it's not my point isn't that was just a gag in terms of the thing. I don't think it is, but it's not a. That's what I'm saying. It's not like a banterous sort of or like I've showed you sort of thing. I think a lot of time it's like a, just taking the mick. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I'm vindictive, gonna play, uh, but yeah, that's fair right enough. The keep the shushing football um, campaign. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, I'll sit on that side of the fence. I kind of agree with you, but. Uh... My, but I think it does. It does happen at times when people haven't been getting enough grief to warrant it. That's when it winds me yeah. up. Obviously, when it's people like if Bellamy had done it when he came back here, we gave him such a hard time. If he'd done it then, you'd kind of be like, "Ah, oh, shit, yeah, fair enough." Yeah. Oh no, there is definitely times that warrant it, but I, as, as you said, I don't think it warrants it every time. Yeah. Um, David Furness again. He hates bitter fans of previously big clubs. With a shout out to Everton and also the worst team in the world, Aston Villa. Complained about the money invested in Chelsea, Man City, and says deal with it. I agree with that, mostly because I cannot stand Everton or Villa for exactly that reason. Their fans just think that because they were decent in the eighties for a couple of years, that they've got a right to talk about still being a big club. Everton and Villa are not big clubs anymore. Villa haven't filled the ground for about twenty years. They haven't had a good player for twenty years. They've not challenged in any meaningful manner anything worthwhile for years and years and years and the same can really be said about Evan they had a decent push for a few years but then they just threw it away Not those clubs are no longer big clubs and I'm sick to death of hearing it They're arguably the same thing could be said about Liverpool their fans don't shut up about it being Liverpool's year they never like they never really pushed anyone that hard they should have won the league a few years ago apart from that yeah, not, I think not a massive club anymore I see where he's coming from but at the same time we, we've just mentioned that before about the was it one of the other guy on the Twitter followers said about the the doping of Premier League clubs where the, it's the unfairness? So I sort of disagree with him a bit because I think sixteen out of twenty teams in the league probably feel exactly the same. 
I don't think uh, it is just. I don't think it is just Everton and Villa fans. I think there's plenty of no, teams he was, he wasn't that feel aggrieved. Specifically, saying Everton and Villa, he just gave them as examples of a wider point. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it goes back into to what we were talking about earlier, doesn't it? I think there, there's a certain element where you can kind of see, um, you know, fair fair enough, like because there's like capping on teams' ambitions now. And if you look maybe mm-hmm. back in the eighties, teams like Villa and Everton were challenging. Yeah, at the top of the league, winning European competitions, and so so that was within touching distance. So people growing up now, people's dads would be going to those games, or, or people still watching, still remember that. So yeah. it, uh, I think it's that frustration, of the fact that, that that back then that you know they could they could generally you know be, be flying as a club. Yeah. Um, that is that, that where that comes from because you, you can't really do that now. You look at Villa and you look at. They tried to get in the Champions League when Randy Lerner first came in, through all that money, one of the biggest net spenders in the league for a few years. Yeah. And they realised just they just couldn't get through that barrier in the Champions League, so it just he just pied it off really and he's he's just keep keeping him above water. Martin so O'Neill, wasn't it? it yeah. I think I suppose with that as well it's just the fact that it's just they're they're not fashionable clubs enough for to sort of excite players to go there anymore. I mean, every all the players nowadays want to go to London. Yeah, nobody wants to live in Birmingham or Liverpool. And it is it. again. It comes back. It is the money thing, but <laughs> I would suspect if you were given the choice of Everton or Crystal Palace, players are probably going to choose Crystal Palace these days because it's the fact you get to live in London. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Did you want to comment on anything, Mickey? No, no, maybe later. Um, Andy Brown says post game manager interviews, especially with Wenger, Pulis. Jose uh, talking about the players never getting fouled and getting picked on he's right there it's especially uh, it's sometimes funny seeing Jose after the match but it's it's really annoying just like just take it on the chin if you get beat off something happens that, that not every decision is going to go your way it's I find it infuriating particularly Wenger he's such a moaner it's just to excuses isn't it yeah although there is an argument into that list as well the, yeah. yeah there was an argument for Marino that he says all this, this stuff to deflect anything from his players which works because nobody ever talks about Chelsea's players yeah. really when they lose a game they are now because they've lost they've been yeah. terrible but if they just lose yeah. the odd one it's never talked about because everyone's just going on about what Mourinho said so I, I agree with you Andy Vaughan, I get also, that point yeah. I but, also understand why Mourinho does it but at the same time it's still just boring to hear yeah it is boring why it put a boring. camera in his I, face you know I what almost he's never say. listen to those interviews anyway I, it's just it's a bit Disappointing, really, that it's such the media side of things. It's just so like, just scripted almost. It's there's there's very rarely there's not really any characters left in football anymore that will just come out and have a bit of crap and be honest on yeah, screen. No yeah, they've, they've, they're all scripted. And you look at someone like Wayne Rooney when he first came on, just <laughs> sort of rough scouse lad. <laughs> just had no. Obviously, you can tell he's had years and years of media training. And now you look at him; it's just he's worlds apart from where he was. But it's just like it just gives you just boring, just one-word answers, really. And it's just it's what's the point? If what is the point of these interviews? You learn nothing from them; they're just a waste of time. Yeah. Well, lads, this is exactly why we need Nigel Pearson back in the Premier League. <laughs> Can you ever imagine like a year ago you're thinking? Halfway through one of the Premier League press conferences, we're going to have a discussion about whether a journalist is or is not an Austrian. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we need back in the game, alive and up of it. Completely agree. Yeah. Uh, final no final one from Twitter is Andy Vaughan, who just says he fucking hates Mackham's, Villa, West Brom, and Chelsea fans. That's fair enough. Would agree with all of that. 
Is that, is that a product of the Premier League? In the I think it is, Mike, yeah. <laughs> it, definitely, it definitely is. You would know about that because you're in the Championship, mate. Don't be bitter. <laughs> so we'll be back after this short break with a game from Ben and then our final points on the Premier League. Um, so before our final points on the Premier League, we've got a game from Ben. I think this is an only size game. It is, yeah. We've we've thought we'll represent the two lads that couldn't be bothered to turn up tonight, so we'll <laughs> steal their games and claim all the thunder. Um, claim all the thunder. <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll steal their thunder, I suppose, is the normal yeah, we, uh, phrase, we, isn't we it? We should get you in these post-match press conferences, Ben. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's only just dawned on me that I'm under as much pressure as you were for my I'll, game. I'll liven it up. Really? I thought my my game went down quite well. No, but I mean because I've got to beat Mike. Oh right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, well, so my game is uh, teammates. Also, listeners, let us know if you beat me and Mike. Yeah, so let us know after how many players you got it on Twitter. Um, so the first one this week, as a shout-out for, for Kickman tradition, we're going with Shirley Ramiobi, who made uh, an appearance back at Newcastle at half-time last week. Player number two is Calvin Zola. Calvin Zola? Was his surname McCongo? I think Calvin it was, Zola yeah, Calvin Zola and Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, no. Ooh, who's he played for? Oh, I'm never going to remember that. Possibly Reading. Next player, Jason McAteer. Jason McAteer. At Sunderland? Blackburn. Do you want to, instead of guessing teams, do you want to have a guess at players? All right. You're nervous, Mickey, aren't you? That's what I am fucking nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to name every team that I can think of. Did you play for these? <laughs> Any ideas? No. Was um oh, no I don't. Damien Duff. Actually. No, not Damien Duff. Um, next player Pascal Chimbanda. Gary Caldwell. No. Ryan Taylor. Yes. Yes. I think you got it. Was it? So was it Trammere who played with? Calvin it Zola? was. So Trammere. So obviously Shola was the tune. Zola and Makatea were at Tranmere um, and Chimbondo was at Wigan the other players I was going to give you was James Vaughan played with him at Tranmere was on loan at Tranmere while he was there Stefan Onshow was at Wigan with him Denny Lanza and then I was going to start giving you current two players Colo and bit all that right. well done so you got that in one two well, three four players well done Mickey I'm reasonably pleased with that as long as I beat Mike I don't care if I beat the listeners we'll do something um, so yeah my, my second thing that I hate about the Premier League is the whole fiasco around deadline day and the Jim White generation <laughs> of football fans as much as we laughed about it at the time the guy on Sky Sports News with a dildo for like two windows ago <laughs> what's that all about man like deadline that was day our first to, pod window wasn't it yeah I think it was <laughs> deadline day used to be like dead interesting and like you'd stay in and watch it and like be texting mates the whole day like what's going on blah 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 now it's just such a massive, massive deal, and Jim White with his yellow tie sending someone to every ground, it, like people chasing Harry Redknapp down the street trying to get him a quote to give a quote. It's mental, awful. Like people should be interested in deadline day because they're interested in what's going yeah, on with transfers, not completely like agree. getting on the telly and being an idiot and having the news before your mate. Like it's, it's, oh, it's awful. Yeah, I completely agree. I hate it. It's just. It used to be it was good when it was just about the football, yeah. and it was like, oh, there's a, a rumor here that so and so is going like going to sign, and if if it was your club, obviously you got excited, you're like, oh, like that would be a great signing. 
Whereas now they've turned it away. It's not about the football anymore, weirdly. It's about Jim White getting in his helicopter, making a day of it, just going around like the country, just having crack with people and journalists He's just start journalists standing outside the stadium for all day. Yeah. Just people. having like no crack and it's like what like what what is entertaining about this? And just the whole hoo ha about it, it's just rubbish and exactly. they've got the they get the worst people involved, like obviously Jim Wyatt, what an idiot. But just the pundits, like they had a really awkward like the last hour of the window this year I think um, it was on just as I got in from work and it was like Jamie Redknapp and Thierry Henry discussing like players as it came along and it was like they didn't have a clue who they were on about <laughs> like that Martial lad who signed for Man U like they're asking Thierry Henry oh is he the new you he didn't have a clue who he was Yeah. Jamie Redknapp trying to spout out some dribble he didn't he's clearly never seen him uh, play football and it's just it's just a it's becoming it's the worst yeah it brings out the worst in football I think just the people like love it people used to be in my opinion at least for me I used to be interested in Redknapp when they went to him on on transfer deadline day because first of all he he loved it and he was always signing players and second of all he was stupid enough to tell everyone about it on live (laughs) TV whereas then they just started going back to him because people used to like that and just trying to make him that was it it was like a gimmick now wasn't it Yeah. yeah it became more of a gimmick and it's not what it's not what it was about, and it's they've, they've absolutely ruined it. And now I, I don't pay any attention to it at all. Is that the Premier League like, though, or is that Sky? Well, it's a combination, isn't it? Mostly it's Sky. Yeah. But yeah, like, I think it's the dramatisation of it all. But I've only got two questions about it. Firstly, whenever they film Jim White as breaking news arriving for his shift in the, in the evening. <laughs> Who's he on the phone to? I always see the film him coming in like on the phone to someone. It's like, Jim, you're not a journalist. You, you're not talking to any leads. You're a newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, what does Darmesh Chef do for the rest of the year? I'm yeah. sure I only ever see him during a transfer window where they just keep him in a cupboard for the rest of the year and just bring him out for, for a couple of months a year or what. I've heard know, he just spends his year ironing yellow ties. Sorry, mate, I totally interrupted the <laughs> It wasn't worth repeating. <laughs> right, Mike, <laughs> your last one then. Um... It's, it's kind of um, what the I know the clock toys were tweeting it about earlier. Um, it's just as a fan for a championship club, I often think now because of the the limitations on clubs and you have to be a realist. What's uh, what's the what's the highest we can get? The, the, there's always a checking on that reality. And I remember the back end of last season, we're obviously Ipswich competing for a. For, for, for the playoffs and going up and we would have been buzzing absolutely buzzing around it and, and obviously getting up to Premier League fantastic but then there's a bit of the other things actually like realistically how much further can we go and you, you look at teams like like Charlton and, and Bolton's traditionally who have who have stabilised themselves in the Premier League and worked their way up and then it got to a point where their fans are like oh nah we want a bit more we want more than this this is getting boring just finishing mid-table in the Premier League where realistically in the game as it is now with the funding and resources that's a level you're not going to get any higher and lo and behold uh, you know they plummeted they made a change and they plummeted Charles went down to League One Bolton could well be going down to League One this season and it's just it's just that shame that you can't really you can't really dream anymore and I think it, it works its way up at every level I think you guys as well there's a, there's got to be a certain element of reality um, you know not just under your current manager or your, your current ownership it's just thinking looking 15 20 years in the future and thinking really like realistically what how far can we get <laughs> in football now 
Um, and, I, and I think it's a shame that you can't just come into the Premier League like like when Newcastle under Keegan and within the first couple of seasons be be challenging at the top of the league. Um, I, I think I think that's a real shame that that you've lost that. Um, but um, I can't see any way that it, that it's going to come back with with, with 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 the amount that's been ploughed in the game. Um, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's gone a, gone beyond a point of no return. I think now. Yeah, Mike. I think that I think that point basically encompasses everything that we've said since we've been talking about the negatives. Really, the whole the whole thing that the Premier League has done is just taken away the dreams of fans. Apart from teams like Man City, I mean, unless unless the Sultan of Brunei buys Newcastle, we will never win the league again. <laughs> Whereas twenty years ago, it was a possibility. All he needed was a brazen manager, and I, I, we did spend money, but we didn't spend ludicrous money, and we spent. Mm-hmm. We spent money that we could arguably afford because we had a decent fan base. Teams like Ipswich, if they were selling out the ground week in, week out, could could, could twenty years ago conceivably have built it themselves into a solid team again. Obviously mm-hmm. they were in the eighties. But now that that dream of getting better there's just a ceiling on it, which is the ceiling is for for some teams top six, for most teams bottom ten. And that's not a dream. That's there's no point in dreaming immediately. Definitely, the Premier the Premier League has sucked sucked the soul and the life out of football in in England, and I think it's a massive shame. No, I think that sums it up well. Yeah, so that just leaves me to do uh, Dogger's notices, and also he specifically mentioned to me that he wanted me to bring up Sissoko and what he said today about Palace being a, a bigger club than Newcastle. In my opinion, he said he's basically said it by accident. Probably didn't mean what he said. And it's just obviously the words of a player who wants to leave and he's made that abundantly clear for the vast majority of his performances in a black and white shirt so I don't really give a shit what he said Ben, any thoughts? No, I, th- I mean I, as I said to be honest I don't really pay much attention to uh, these interviews that players do when they go abroad obviously it's usually done in their own native tongue and it's going to be manipulated any which way it can by the media Um it's no secret that he's wanted away for the last couple of years. I think it's it's nothing new, really. Um, if people want to kick off about it, like that's their own prerogative, obviously. Uh, it doesn't change anything from six months ago or, or a year ago. I, I don't think, realistically, he's not a player that's going to stay here long term, is it? He's he's going to be away at his first opportunity when, when he gets the opportunity to do it. But until then, as long as he's trying trying to win games every week for it I, I, I'm not particularly concerned by it yeah it doesn't, it doesn't change anything all these people are kicking off on the internet it doesn't matter it doesn't make any difference exactly. at all exactly don't worry about it Mike any thoughts I don't know if you've seen the quote yeah it's, it's just another reason to hate the international break I think isn't it it's just <laughs> these players go and you know probably face with a loaded question from a, from a journalist back at home yeah um, of course it's, it's not what we're doing to, to misinterpretation and, and, and translation it's yeah, it's just something to talk about when there's nothing to talk about because of the international weekend. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> knock it on the head. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Um, so, so, yeah, follow us on Twitter at uh, TF Weekly Pod. Um, Dodzy did a podcast with George Corgan and Michael from True Faith, which is well worth a listen. It's, it's, it's cracking, so, so that give that a go. Last Thursday, he's got one coming up as well this Thursday, again with um, the TF editor. Mick Martin and um, Luke Edwards um, so that'll be interesting I think that's looking at the uh, sort of media partnerships I think is it I, believe I think that's what so, he said yes. so 
So keep a look out for that coming. Um, and also, again, another shout out if anyone still hasn't listened to it, the podcast he did with Martin Hardy, um, which is, I guess, <laughs> quite encompassed well within this podcast. It's looking back to the more romantic times yeah. um, under the Keegan years, so that's well worth a listen. Um, and also get the book, um, which by all accounts is brilliant. Um, but I guess that is a nice way to wrap up for us. Yeah, we'll be back on Friday with a radio show, probably without very much to talk about. Yeah. And next week on Monday, we'll be possibly podcasting whilst watching the match for West Ham away. Potentially. M- maybe after, because I would rather not do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, see you next week. Thanks for listening. Cheers, Bye. Mike. See ya. Cheers. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.